So I feel like I should have liked Second Skin more than I did. I don't know why I – in a lot of ways, this is a very important Kira episode. It it has – you know, Is it? I mean, you know, it, it well, it is or it isn't. Part of it feels very redundant, and I think that might have been why. Yeah, well, I think the the major problem with Second Skin, and I, I have another problem with it that is sort of a, a problem with the concept, but we'll get into that in a little bit, is that – you know, Kira's not really a Cardassian, no, so I so know. there's no there's no stakes here, and the real the real episode doesn't start until about minute forty. Yeah, I mean, I guess. See, it's interesting because I could see a a, a, a there have been you know that the moment where with with clone. Uh, O'Brien, I think I said, like, it would have been interesting if, you know, what if the real O'Brien gets killed and the clone, you know, state, like, right. but, but that doesn't happen because they're not willing to make that fundamental of a change. So, yeah, yes, there is a possibility that, you know, I could see a show where it does turn out that, you know, the character we know as Kira was a big sleeper, you know, was a Cardassian sleeper agent, and now she's dealing with this. And I mean, that, you know, that would be a very fascinating sea change for a show to do with a character like that this show is not ready to make that that well it's 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 interesting you say that because you know robert hewitt wolf who wrote this episode and who you know becomes kind of important to deep space nine as we've talked about before his original concept for this episode was um actually o'brien as a as a as a a a cardassian sleeper agent okay and and actually was going to be a cardassian and uh, the reason why the story was changed w- was primarily, as I understand it, because, um, as it says on Memory Alpha, that he couldn't figure out a way to kind of um, square the circle of Keiko and O'Brien having a fully human child because mm-hmm. they had a kid. So that concept was abandoned, and they went with this one. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not exactly sure why it's... I mean, it makes sense that it's Kira. She has a lot of backstory with the Cardassians. This is... You know, it's a lot of personal resonance with her her character and kind of her story because she, you know, has problems with Cardassians. But... Uh, you know, I don't know why they didn't actually make her a Cardassian. And I think maybe you're right that the show wasn't ready to go there. Yeah. But it makes for kind of a flat episode of television. I then. mean, uh, in a lot of ways, this is like they got the scripts for um, the episode where she's with the old man on his, on 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 that moon of Bajor. And they, you know, they have to evacuate. Um, what one was that? Uh, I think it was Progress. Yes. Um, it's like they took the scripts for Progress, Duet, and uh, the TNG episode Face of the Enemy, and the intern tripped, and, you know, they all got, you know, mashed together. I mean, we have the notes from all—we have basically the same beats from all of those episodes, but, you know, th- this is another step in that journey that we've seen, you know, Kira taking to where she is recognizing that there are such a thing as, you know, noble Cardassians. Yeah. You know, with the old man in in progress, you know, he became a kind of father figure to her. And, you know, that was nice. This is her, you know, getting that, you know, the beginnings of that kind of relationship with a Cardassian. And yes, for Kira, that's a very important thing that she can not only respect, you know, another Cardassian, but actually come to love him a little bit. I mean, she, you know, at the end when they had, you know, they have that moment where, you know, he tells you to keep the necklace, you know, you're the closest that I have to a daughter, you know, she doesn't have a father either. That's the closest that she's ever really come to fatherly love, you know, as, as an adult. And, you know, her recognizing that again, that's a very, that's something that the Kira of the beginning of season one would never have done, you know, and, but, but at the same time, again, it feels a little redundant. Yeah, I feel like there's probably a way that they could have introduced the character of, of Lega Gamor and, and made the, their relationship, you know, gel in a different way. 
I, you know, I, I think that, you know, I don't want to go down a road of fixing the episode because that's not really that interesting, but, but there are problems yeah. with it where, you know, I mean, again, the fundamental problem with the episode is just that we know she's not going to be a Cardassian. And so you're kind of left with this, you know, very flat, um, you know, most of the episode takes place in like one or two rooms. I mean, you know, it's well, like, I mean, there's I, a lot of problems with the kind of the way that the episode feels very small in a way that I think Star Trek yeah. is usually pretty good at, at sort of alighting, you know, because of course, they have, you know, many different sets for Deep Space Nine. They have the Defiant. They have all yeah. kinds of different quarters, you know, ops. They have the, the conference room now, you know, so all of that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, when they do this kind of episode, you know, off world, they can really only show, you know, one set or two sets. And it becomes a problem in this episode because primarily this is a, you know, a lo- not a locked room mystery, but, you know, she's she's kind of a, a, yeah. a she's kind of a, a um uh, a prisoner and, and she can't leave and they, they'd sell it that way. But, you know, she tries to go out a window at one point and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's just Kira interacting with a couple of Cardassians that we've never seen yeah. before, you know, having emotional angst over the fact that she's not a Cardassian, which we all know. And I guess it makes me sound like I don't like this episode. I, I do, but I think it's entertaining enough. And I think it does have some interesting character resonances, but at the end of the day, well, it's just kind of like, what's the point of this? Well, one thing I will say is, so, I mean, this isn't your first time seeing this episode. This is, you know, obviously mine. I've never uh, actually watched this show before. Okay. Well, that's very interesting. You've been, you know, very, you know, on the ball and, you know, very intuitive about. Um, I'm very intelligent. As someone watching this episode for the first time, you know, it's, again, there was the possibility that, well, maybe she really is Cardassian. And again, I had that kind of meta you know, well, number one, the makeup looks terrible on her. Like that, you know, and you know. They, I mean, I don't know. It looks but, fine. I think you know, but but but, but I guess what you know where where I'm going with that is, you know, it's fairly clear from somebody who has watched a lot of Star Trek that that's not the direction they're going with this particular plot point. Yeah. But what does remain is, you know. Well, well also, frankly, they did this before with Troy. Yeah, in a better episode. Of course, no. We we are fairly sure that it is you know some kind of you know surgical procedure done to her, which as it turns out to be. But the main question that is left is, you know, why is this being done to her? I mean, and and who is it that's you know who? Well, on the, who on do the, you, who, who's the one that's lying here? Obviously, it's fairly sure it's the Obsidian Order guy, but you know the the direction that you know the Legate, you know his his. Uh, uh, stake in this is a little ambiguous until you know a- after a while you know you know y- you're y- you aren't really sure for the beginning of the episode is he genuinely feeling you know feelings for someone he thinks is his daughter or is he just that good and playing along because you know you've been telling me to kind of not take people especially Cardassians at face value on this show and so I was looking at it a little more critically but you know what is their motivation for doing this to Kira at this point? You know, there there is really none you can think, but as it turns out. Well, I think, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to, to kind of, there's different directions I could go in with that. And, you know, we'll, we'll cover all of them. But at, at, I don't know, the episode is, is, it's kind of sloppy in some ways because you get, I think the episode would have been better, number one, if you hadn't had a couple shots of that mysterious alien following Kira and telegraphing the fact yeah. that she was going to be kidnapped. You know, like, I don't yeah. know what the point of that was. It didn't seem to go anywhere, and they didn't use that alien to find Kira in any way, right? So, 
I, you know, it's kind of like, why? I think it would have been more effective if Kira had just woken up on Cardassia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't actually know what the hell was going on as much as she did, right? So so that's kind of number one, I think, the problem with it. Um, and then I think the other thing, too, is that you're right that Legate Gamor, you know, we're unsure if he's actually playing along with the Obsidian Order, if he's, you know, actually feeling this way. And one of the things that I actually like about Second Skin is that it is willing to you know, go a bit further with the Obsidian Order and say, you know, these are people that are willing to, you know, kidnap a, a Bajoran, you know, major and surgically alter her to look Cardassian, not for any real reason other than suspicion. Like, they, they you know, they make yeah. it very clear that they don't even have any evidence that that Gamor is a, a, a dissident, right? That they're willing to go to these lengths on on a on a vague hunch that this guy is a dissident and you know that's the part of the episode that i think works because that really shows exactly how i think not necessarily evil the obsidian order well, is but how you know something cardassia is very willing to do very a lot i mean this is this is actually very similar to O'Brien getting tried for really nothing, you know? Yeah. It's, it's another example where they just decide, we're going to fucking ruin somebody's life. You know, they pick a random, you know, Federation-affiliated person and then just, you know, do this elaborate, you know, dog and pony show. And that's why I think Cardassia is is really interesting, you know, especially in, in this show, because— they're not really worried about antagonizing the Federation in no. a fundamental way. You know, they're, they're, they're willing to, like, kind of pick the scabs and, and do things that they know will get under the skin of the Federation. They, they have this treaty. I mean, think about how far they've, they've gone, you know, from, from the wounded. I mean, we watched The Wounded a few, a few uh, weeks ago, and we, we guessed on another podcast. And it was really interesting to kind of watch that episode, you know, with, with kind of the knowledge of what comes after, I think, especially on Richard's part. And it's kind of like, you know, they have this treaty that are ostensibly, you know, allies, quote unquote, with the Federation and all of this nonsense. But at the end of the day, we know that that's not true. And there's kind of this weird... I don't know. It, well, that, well, it's not. It's not kind of. A, it's not a cold war, but it's. It's. You know, you the Cardassians are not exactly fans of the Federation, and the Federation know it. You know what I'm thinking about is that at the end of the wounded, um, basically Picard and the Gull that they have in that episode, they they know that the Cardassians have been plotting, and you know, but Picard says like, you know, look, my my mission was to keep the peace at any means possible, you know, and we're going to keep the peace. In a way, what that was telling Cardassi is you can do whatever you want and we're never going to fire the first shot in the war. Yeah, that's – You know, because yeah. <laughs> so I mean like, you know, at the end of – you know, when, when their plot with O'Brien, you know, goes to hell, oh, we're sorry and we're going to make this. And like I said, at the end of the – the judge looks like this wonderful, you know, magnanimous person who, you know, gave a gift to the Federate, you know, and that's a very condes- – you know – they win no matter what. You know, here, you know, it's not like, you know, Bajor has the resources to go to war over Major Kira, you know. All the Obsidian Order would have to do was apologize or dis, you know, disavow certain things. You know, they, they, there are so many plots going on that they could deny all knowledge yeah. and know that person was going rogue. Hey, remember when you had a Federation, you know, hey, Federation, remember when you had a captain who was going rogue and we let that go, you know. You should let this one, you know, like they, they can really do whatever they want to the Federation without and, 
the Federation starting the war. Well, yeah, and also, frankly, I mean, I think that's right. But I think the other thing, too, is that, you know, the 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 Cardassians, as we've talked about in the past, have have really three, you know, powers that are sort of vying for for supremacy. Yeah. And they have, you know, the Cardassian civilian government, which, you know, frankly, kind of seems to be a non-player. We don't really know what they're up to. Then we have the Obsidian Order and we have the, the military. And so, you know, the, the Cardassian civilian government is is very well positioned because they've got the military and the Obsidian Order to do all the dirty work for them. And it's kind of like we know from, from the way that they've kind of intimated about how Cardassian government works in the past that it's not a situation like the Federation where, you know, Starfleet is very much under the control of the Federation Council and, and the president. Yeah. And Starfleet will not go off and do things that the Federation government does not want them to do. Whereas on Cardassia, it seems very easy for the you know the civilian government to say, "Oh, we're really sorry. We don't know what the Obsidian Order is doing." You yeah. know, and and it also seems really interesting as well that you know in this episode it's revealed that the Obsidian Order has autonomy at the sort of bequest of the military, and that can be revoked at any time. Mm. And so it's kind of like there's all these weird things about how Cardassia operates that that are kind of you know not coming to a head in this episode, but the the layers are slowly being revealed, which I find really interesting. Yeah, and this group, the Dissidents, it's an it's unclear if they're a I mean, they're almost a fourth group that's made up of members of the other three groups, you know, in a way. Yeah, and they seem to be, you know, they, they mentioned this group in, in a previous episode from the second season, um, Profit and Loss, right? Remember that with the, the woman coming back with it Quark was in love with and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah, and she had those two people with her. That was that episode, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, so we kind of know that there is this dissident movement. And, you know, this is not anything... New for for Star Trek. I mean, Star no. Trek has done. I mean, we talked a lot about went with TNG about how you know TNG did have some sort of late serialization and things were picked up. I mean, this is more TNG style serialization where they kind of mentioned something that happened a while ago. But at the same time, the show is not forgetting that these things are happening. And, you know, we don't know what the dissident movement means. We don't know who's a part of it. You know, obviously this legged Gamor who is now going off to some other, you know, alien government and, and, and be protected by them ostensibly is going to continue his work in whatever way he can. But, you know, Cardassia is a very, you know, divided place. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and. You know, going with the major theme that, you know, there were the, the major motif in this show where there is no such thing as a Cardassian in a way, in, in, in the same way that, you know, TNG, you know, one Cardassian was the same as any other, you know, species equals personality, you know, this series is very deliberately uh, avoiding that. And, yeah. You know, so, of course, the, I mean, you know, and I think it's interesting that, you know, again, one of the criteria, you know, when I don't. I'm, it's unclear if this is a formal criteria or this is just, but the Federation doesn't really like to take in planets that haven't really gotten that one world agreement government. And so they very explicitly don't do that. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's interesting that Cardassia, who is the big enemy of the Federation right now is this, you know, is as many governments as it, you know, it, it, you know, as, as everybody has, you know, Ga- Garrick has made it very clear that everybody has a different idea of what Cardassia means. Yeah, yeah, and I think that you know, from the outside, I think Cardassia probably does like to project an image of of yeah. one worldedness or whatever you want to call it. But of course, we know that the the score is very different. Yeah, and I, you know, it's it's also interesting because it does sort of, you know, 
it it paints Cardassia as less of a threat and more of a threat at the same time because yeah. you know they they are divided and and the different groups are fighting amongst each other and so that weakens their position but at the same time it makes them more dangerous because you never really know what they're going to do yeah i mean this is a a divided cardassia you know can randomly kidnap you know federation citizens and you know can just take somebody you know and and and, and do this plot you know Imagine I mean, what imagine what it would do if it got its shit together. Right. Because, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, the Romulans could do this, right? I mean, they did this yeah. in face of the enemy with Troy. But the thing with that is sort of like, you know, you get the sense that the Romulan government told them to do this. And, like, the Romulan military was like, okay, we'll do this. I mean, they're very much structured on a, on a sort of, you know, different level than the Cardassians are. And that makes, I think, the Cardassians more interesting yeah. adversaries, frankly. I mean, I think it's very interesting how the series is making the Romulans seem, you know, cute almost, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that, it, I, that, that's actually, yeah. I, I, I mean, when we, you know, we... It, in the search, they worked with a Romulan who, and and you know, even when you know they're in the hologram, and you know, she she seems very blustery, you know. But when she's saying like, "Oh, Romula, you know, well, you can't do this to us," you know, and yes, it again, it turns out all to be a hologram. But you know, the Federation reaction that you know, well, what are the Romulans going to do to us? You know, if yeah, we have the Cardassians and the Dominion, like. They're weak stuff now. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's actually, I mean, it's kind of funny because Deep Space Nine, I think, is doing that primarily to set itself apart. It's yeah. developing alien races and creating new ones that that it wants to put its own stamp on and, and make its own identity. And so it is kind of commenting on the other stuff as well. I mean, I think it's no it's no accident that, you know, the Romulans and the Klingons and, you yeah. know, those kind of species oh, yeah. are not really much of a part of this show. I, I want to talk a little bit about... Um, I guess Kira and Gamor because you know I don't know that there's it's funny because for for such an episode that is so heavy on on Kira and I think that there's actually not that much to to talk about with her because you know she has had a lot of character development already yeah. and she's kind of dealt with a lot of this and of course you know she wouldn't be thrilled with looking like a Cardassian she's like clawing in her face you know but her journey is sort of a one-note journey. You know, she she keeps denying that she's really a Cardassian. She tries to escape. She does all of the things that we expect yeah. Kira to do. And at the end of the day, she hasn't really changed any. She hasn't learned anything. And her, you know, so it's kind of like... Yeah, that, you know, even though this relationship, you know, the, these, you know, this this affection she has for him is is new it's something that she's been capable of for a little while she just you know yeah frankly didn't meet the right father figure you know if you want to say that i mean i do i do like the fact that this is a plot by the obsidian order to uncover the dissident gamor and yeah. that gamor doesn't know that you know kira isn't really his daughter i mean you get the sense in this episode from the end of it that that he really did think that this was iliana and yeah. that you know, he was surprised when she wasn't. I mean, and that's really sort of, I mean, there's a lot of pathos there, of course, because this is a man who misses his daughter a lot and yeah, we I mean, identify with that. There's a, there is certainly a suggestion that he is ignoring a lot of things, you know, in the, in, because he just wants, you know, her back so badly, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I think it's interesting that he thinks of himself as, now part of it is, you know, a father trying to protect his daughter, but I mean, he seems to think of himself as untouchable. Entire, yeah, yeah uh, like, and he's obviously not. Yeah, but I mean, I think he really does think of his position as untouchable, which is a, you know, it's his blind spot, you know, and it doesn't necessarily come off as arrogance. I think he was just 
but I think he's more surprised. I think that that he really did think that, and he just yeah. he was surprised that that you know this was kind of on the, on their radar. It comes off slightly naive in that regard, but yeah. Uh, and I actually think that's interesting because this might be the first naive Cardassian we've seen. Yeah, and that kind of, but it, you know, you know, and and that makes frankly makes him a little more endearing because he's just as much of a victim of the of them as she is, right? Sure. You know, now they both are just uh, again, but. In yeah, a, I think I think in a lot of ways this is less of a Kira episode and more of an episode about yeah. Kira and and Gamora's relationship. And yeah. it works. I think it's a good relationship. I mean, I mean, I'm curious as to whether he appears again or not. I mean, it could. I feel like you know. I mean, the show could very easily do it either way. I I mean, I I think that I mean, I usually don't tell you things like that but he doesn't i mean i think he appears once more I, okay, just um, he's not like a big part of it i mean this isn't like the whole no know, i think the whole secret about the dominion that i was holding back for two seasons like that's it, yeah no no, no i mean and i he, figured he, that i figured if if he doesn't you know, he doesn't come back to cardassia and like take it over or anything yeah, <laughs> you know they may, may, i figure you know maybe at one point they'll have a chat with him or like they'll ask him for you know a favor you know as, right as right. part of you know a, a better plot but um well, and I guess, you know, since we we are talking a lot about the Cardassians, I think um, the other thing I want to talk about in this episode is Garrick. Because, yeah, Cisco you know, gets one over on Garrick in a way yeah. that I like. Cisco is great in general. <laughs> I mean, I think that, you know, Cisco is, I think, you know, this may be sort of a heretical comment, but I, I really do think he's my he's my favorite lead of any of the Star Trek shows. Um, you know, I love Picard. I love Kirk. You know, Janeway is fine and scott bacula is scott bacula um i don't even know what his real name i don't know his character name (laughs) is uh captain archer um is you know he's what he is uh but uh i don't mean to be dismissive of enterprise but you know what is there really to say about it um find out in two years i'm not looking forward to this and (laughs) he has a dog uh and you know i just love i love how you know the character of cisco Especially, we'll see that in the next episode. But he's he's very loving. He's a very open person with his motion, his emotions. He's not afraid to show compassion. He, you know, he's very much a Federation Starfleet officer. But he's got this undercurrent of deviousness, which <laughs> I which I like, and I think it 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 suits the character and it suits the environment in which he's in. Because again, Deep Space Nine is not a federation starship it's not going to be able to be run like a federation starship there's a lot of different alien species you know primarily it's a bajor uh, uh owned station so there's a lot of bajorans running around i mean the federation is a minority in this station you yeah. know and so he has to run it in a different way and i like when and obviously i mean i think to avery, avery brooks just just plays this very well but yeah that scene where he's basically blackmailing garrick into helping him is is just great when it, whenever he has that kind of a scene he's enjoying the hell out of himself like i i oh god what was it the it was a couple of weeks ago who was he interrogating it you know you could t- i don't remember but yeah I, yeah I, anytime anytime he's interrogating somebody or like talking to quark or basically when he he really likes cornering a person and having the person corner themselves as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and then he just, you know, but, and he plays it very subtly up until the moment when, like, you know, he knows the person has to do what he wants now and he just kind of, like, just smiles and has this great shit-eating grin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and too, I think also that, you know, I, I like the fact that you know, Cisco gets one over on Garrick, and Garrick has to help him on the Defiant and all this kind of stuff, right? But 
at the end of the day, Garrick is is getting one over on Cisco as well because you know Garrick is the one to get them out of that situation with the Cardassians. You know, we we kind of. I like the fact that we never really know what's going on with Garrick and what's true and what's not yeah. true. I mean, how are you feeling about him? Like, especially in this episode where it's kind of revealed that, you know, he's got more knowledge and, and more connections yeah, on Cardassia than he's, he's uh, kind of revealed at this point. I mean, I, 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 I feel like the amount to which I may or may not trust Garrick is inconsequential to the fact that I love the hell out of the character. Yeah. Just because, again, that one, I mean, the scene with Cisco, you know, getting him to do, you know, that's one of the rare opportunities that Garrick just doesn't have mastery of the situation. And, you know, I he's, he's the kind of person who makes it very obvious that you can't trust me. I'm only out for myself, you know, all of that. And... I mean, it, it was it. It was at the end of the episode. This episode that they say, you know, don't trust Garrick. Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Gamora tells Kira that. Yes, like as very like you know. So n- that kind of intimates that Garrick is a lot more. Yeah, that bit, on I a mean, higher echelons than has previous. I mean, you know, you could kind of intimate that, but you know, but 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 you know, there there's. I think the. I think the biggest danger that we have with Garrick is that we think we know a little bit about Garrick right now, or at least the characters do. Yeah. And so right now everybody thinks that, oh, you know, he's somebody, he was high up on Cardassia, he was disgraced, he's in exile, you know, he's trying to get his position back, and, you know, he's hyper-competent and knows a lot of things, you know. That's what everybody thinks of Garrick right now, and that at the end is saying, no, that's his, like, you know, the tailor was his, his disguise isn't the tailor. His disguise is the, you know, is his the His disguise sold- is Garrick. His, yeah, his, his, he's disguised as a tailor disguised as something, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's... It, who, who knows? He's, what like, it, about know. six levels deeper than, than everyone is right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I like it because this is a kind of character that yeah. we haven't seen on Star Trek before, really. And I, I think that... Yeah, because they can very slowly, you know, drop the bottom out a little more every time we see Garrick. Yeah. And, you know, that is something that needs a lot of very, you know, very deliberate pacing to, you know, do in the way that they have, you know, characterized Garrick. I mean, we're seeing him more and more lately. You know, it's funny you, th- you you think that, but we haven't really. Like he's 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 hasn't really. He's been in like I don't know three or four episodes a season. I mean, this isn't like he. I mean, I think part of it is that we saw him, um, you know, just a couple weeks ago in the in the latter part of the second season, and then we saw him again. I think once before in this season, and now we're seeing him again. So it's just kind of like maybe you know. But it's kind of like we don't you know we he does appear in the show quite a bit. I don't remember how many appearances he has, but it, it's a lot fewer than you think and i think part of that is just because andrew robinson is yeah, such he a is that his performance is just so unique that he sticks out in your mind yeah yeah, um, yeah so yeah i think that that you know garrick is obviously a character to watch and i'm, I'm glad that you're you're liking him because yeah. he is he is one of my favorite star trek characters of all time oh um i guess the final thing to talk about before we move on to the abandoned is this is just a minor thing and i know it's just you know put it in the category of this is a tv show just watch it and enjoy it but um, I don't really buy the whole surgical thing with changing oh, yeah. someone into a Cardassian, especially the fact that like, and I don't want to get like gross or anything, but 
don't they have different genitals? Like, I mean, like, there's just things about this that don't really line up. Like, Kira had to go to the bathroom at some point, and I mean... Maybe she didn't. She never went to the bathroom? Oh, Bajorans actually don't pee. They just sweat it out. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. I, you know, I but just, wait, but, but if she's doing that, then she would know that she's not a Cardassian. Right. So it's just kind of like, you know, things like that where you're just, if you think about it for more than two minutes, you're like, wait a second. How did <laughs> she ever really believe this? Like, she was like, she went to doctors. I mean, like, you know, it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of, it's, I don't like it, but whatever. You just kind of have to overlook it for the but episode. I, I mean, I guess for the, po- you know, because I, I, I guess the point is that, you know, Kira doesn't really believe that she's a Cardassian. And number one, I don't well, know. Well, she doesn't believe that she's a Cardassian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, the, I mean, but she's, the, episode, she's... the episode is incumbent on her feeling crazy in, in a certain way. Yeah, and, of and course. But I, just, I mean, I like, I, you know, I guess, I guess it's the, um, the, the we can, like, assume, you know, but, 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 but I mean, that. There is no way that they, they would have had the episode say, look, I have Bajoran junk. Like, I can't be Cardassian. No, I like, know. That, that's, I know her, but... that's her proof. But I mean, I guess I guess it's the kind of thing where when you're being told by everyone and you look in the mirror and you see this, you know, and, you know, everyone's insisting and you're not, you know. It, I it, mean, I'll it, be I'll be very gross. Like, I always kind of thought that the Cardassians were one of those species that had like a, clo- a, a cloaca. Cloaca? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just, it's weird to me. I don't know. It's just weird to me. But anyway. You really do think about the, the genitals of aliens and Star well, Trek. I a do. Lot, I'm don't sorry you? because it's just they have sex with each other, and I'm like, how do they mean, do this? You know and that like, like Betazoids just have the most beautiful vaginas. Like I'm sure they do of all but time. I, like I just, they're just like perfect specimens. Like how do how do Klingons and humans have sex? I don't know. I just violently it, now it, Klingons it have just like big nasty just clubs down there like it's it's just disgusting and brutal well they have backup organs so i'm just you know like they they all have two i'm just i don't know i'm just saying anyway this has gone into a weird area so maybe we should just move on to the abandoned (laughs) so here's an episode that fucks everything up Uh, is it Remember a couple weeks ago when you were kind of talking about, you know, oh, the Dominion, the Jem'Hadar work for them and blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of was like, hey, it's a lot darker than that. Yeah. Here's why it's a lot darker. Okay. But I mean, they still do work for the Dominion. Yeah, but. Not voluntarily, but they work for them. True. But it's like the Dominion genetically engineered them to be fighters and made them addicted to a chemical. No, no, that's an extremely dark direction for the show to go. I mean, is that kind of where you thought it was going to go? I can't say it wasn't. No, um, we learned a lot about the Jem'Hadar, and it was all bad news. Yeah, yeah. And I I, I think, you know, this episode, I don't think it's a lot of attention. And I think that that's actually uh, really, really wrong, because this is a profoundly different interpretation of the Star Trek ethos than we have ever seen before. This is the this is the dark mirror version of that episode of Next Generation with Hugh the Borg. Yeah, no, absolutely. I Borg, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, um, I, and that's actually a really good comparison, which I had not thought of. Because really? Because, yeah. It's, it's, well, I think part of it is that I Borg is, it's a late, it's a late series TNG episode that's really good at yeah. a time when the show, you know, was, was batting, you know, 500 or I don't really know what baseball, so but let's just assume that we said they were doing okay. Uh, but they weren't doing, you know, fantastic yeah. like they were in the third and fourth and fifth seasons. And and also part of it is that I just think that this episode doesn't get a lot of attention. And 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 it's a really, really strong episode. And I think it's 
you know, for, for, for an episode that people overlook, I think that it's one of those episodes That's, that really defines what Deep Space Nine is. I was going to say it's very surprising, especially because, again, this is the, all right, you've been wondering what the Jem'Hadari are. We've gotten some glimpses are. Here we go. This is what the Jem'Hadar are. You know, this is, you know, mostly where they come from. Obviously, there is still, you know, we still do have some questions, but for the most part, you know, we have an answer. There are genetically modified spe- or created species that's, you know, soldier- soldiers from the Dominion and they come with their own kill switch. Yeah. Yeah. And, and aside from all of that, I mean, aside from the fact that this really paints the, the founders and the Dominion as really fucked up. Uh, and, uh, and, and frankly, you know, I, I think, you know, I always used to talk a lot about how Star Trek believes in good and doesn't believe in evil. And, at this point, I think you might be able to make the argument that Star Trek might not believe in evil, but Deep Space Nine does. Well, it, it, if it doesn't believe in evil, it be, be it believes in fucked up and wrong. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think that they – we know what the founders have told us about themselves, you know, and whether or not that's true, you've kind of hinted that the story is a little more complex than that. Um, the Dominion tends to think of itself as, you know, well, we stay tuned, I think is a good motto for DS9. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, I mean, the Dominion portrays itself as, you know, we were treated badly by other and now we're, you know, we were able to get our revenge and, you know, the show thinks that whatever their reasoning for starting on their thing in the first place, they've certainly gone beyond anything that's reasonable. You know, it, 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 it's, I mean, you know, it, how, however justified their campaign was, they crossed the line centuries ago. Well, it's like, I mean, you know, it's, it, this is kind of a facile comparison, but, but if you take the, if you take the founders at their word and say that they were just lovely creatures who yeah. wanted to learn about everything yeah. and they were abused, right? And they lashed out. I mean, this is kind of like, you know, someone who's bullied in high school going up and shooting it up. You know, I mean, like, this is not a good no, thing. No, 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 no. It's like some, at this point, it's like somebody who was bullied in high school and is now 40 and goes back and shoots it in a way. Like, yeah. that, you know, again, it's, no, it doesn't really matter what their original justification was. They certainly have passed that point. So are you saying that teenagers that shoot up high schools are justified? Uh, listen, we'll have a long conversation about Columbine in another day. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Stay tuned for the next Trek About Presents where we talk about Columbine. Um, <laughs> that, that's not happening. Um, All right. Elephant by Gus Van Sant. So, yeah, I think that, that it's it's that's all true. And I think that one of the, you know, it's it's such an interesting episode of Star Trek because, and I don't know how to get into this conversation. Yeah, I was going to say, this like, is a hard episode to talk about because it's. Well, it's, it's, it's fundamentally going, I mean, it's fundamentally going against the idea that, that Star Trek was built on, which is that all alien species can be reasoned with. You can find common ground with them, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't like, that's the thing. I mean, like everyone says that deep space nine is, kind of like the anti-Star Trek show. And in some ways it is, and in some ways it isn't. I think that that's overblown to some degree because I do think that whatever you say about Deep Space Nine and wherever the show goes, you know, it is still a show that does believe in in compromise. It is still yeah. a, a, a fran- This is a show that still does believe in peace. You know, they're they're not immediately blasting the Dominion into bits. You know, there's there's this is not you know this yeah. is not that kind of show. Hell, the, they at the try- beginning of um what was the episode the other week? Everyone was at a dinner party. These are people that have had major fights with each other, and they're still getting along in genuine fellowship. This, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The show believes that that still exists. This is, I mean, you know, on a different show. If this really was 
was sort of the anti-Star Trek. As soon as they found out this was a Jem'Hadar, they would have fucking killed it, right? Like, And so this is a show yeah. where the entire episode is built on them trying to figure out the Jem'Hadar and trying to bridge that gap and, and, and come to some sort of common agreement. And what they realize is that at least right now, they fail. There well, is no common agreement to be made with the Gem Hadar. You know, what I think is interesting is this is hearkening back to that, the original episode, the Gem Hadar, uh, uh, Quark's speech about how, you know, you Federation types, you say, you know, you like everybody, but you really just care about people who think like you do. So Odo in this episode is giving the Federation speech. You can do anything you want to. You can choose for yourself. And, you know, we are watching this and we are agreeing with him, you know, and we're going and, you know, we very badly want Odo to convert this Jem'Hadar. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to say, no, you can be more than who you are. And, you know, you can be like one of us. But the Jem'Hadar at the end of the day is saying, well, what I choose to be is who I am. I mean, he is... In a way, that's kind of – while the Jem'Hadar are antagonists through and through in this series. Um, well, and I think that's – Yeah, they, they – they, this is Odo saying what you are is wrong. You have to be like this, which for Odo to say is, is vaguely hypocritical, but yeah. also um, – in an episode that that also, by the way, changes up Odo in a, in a fundamental way, where yeah. he's like he has his own quarters and he throws away his bucket, and you know he is he is definitely the the effects of him finding his people are not lost on him, and yeah. he is able to he's trying he's he's starting to separate from the Odo that we have seen in yeah. the past couple of years he's in a way. Try, he is becoming a little more himself in some ways, and, right? You know that you know I love his expression whenever Odo is really happy because she just gets that genuine, you know, that very genuine just smile for her friend. And it's like a very, you know, nice moment when she has that, you know, she had that when he met the Dominion at first and when he, you know, is in his quarters, you know, and I don't know, that's just a very, I like their friendship. I like their you know, relationship yeah, yeah. with I each mean, other. And, and that's just a very nice you know symbol of that we didn't talk about nana visitor's performance in second skin but it's quite good and oh. in this episode she's really good and, and i feel and she's like to a degree like we don't have to mention her performance because it's she's probably the best actor on the show i would say I, yeah i would agree with that i think that she is um really 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 strong um if not the best actor on the show and and what what I think is interesting about that is you mentioned smiles and there's that scene with Odo and oh, the Gem Hadar yeah. where Odo's trying to get the Gem Hadar <laughs> to smile. And I think that that's a really interesting scene yeah. because number one, the Gem Hadar, do they smile? Is that something that, that all humanoids do? I don't know. And the other thing is Odo has learned that it's an affectation on Odo's part to smile. And so for him to try and teach the Gem Hadar to smile is, 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 not hypocritical necessarily, well, but, no, but it's, it's 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 interesting because it's him allowing himself to it's allowing it's, it's allowing himself to be happy in a way because I think you know well, I think Odo is starting to smile at other things you know or at least you know he's becoming more comfortable with different emotions. He's, but he's not he's not becoming more himself in that way because by by Odo smiling it's it's. It's changing him and saying that that he is trying to make things easier for the people that he's living with, which is not a bad but, thing but necessarily. I, I, but I, guess I think that it, but, smiling and facial expressions are not something that is 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 that Odo would ever do naturally. And so for him to 
that scene is really important, I think, because it shows that, you know, yeah, he gives the big speech to the Jem'Hadar about the Federation yeah. ideals and how, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? But in that scene, it's a very small, small scale example of even on a fundamental level about facial expressions and emotion, Odo has bought the party line. And Odo is trying to convince the Jem'Hadar to feel the way that everybody else does. Yeah, I mean, And that's, that's pretty dark, I think. See, I don't know. Like, I because, guess because you know, if the Jem'Hadar don't want to be happy, they don't have to be happy. No, no, no. And that, and and you know that that is a fair thing. I feel like Odo's placing importance on smiling is him at this point recognizing that he does want to connect with other people. In other words, you know, yes, if he is not going to, you know, you and I, something happy happens, we, you know, we naturally will smile. You know, that's an instinct. That talk, is, talk for yourself. Well, um, if Odo doesn't have that, he is at the point when he realizes that. He wants other people to recognize when he is happy, you know, in a way to, you know, he does wish to, you know, he doesn't wish to be a closed mystery to his friends. You know, he wants them, he wants to communicate enjoyment, you know, just as Kira is able to, uh, you know, communicate happiness and pride and love. You know, he wants to, he's finding those things are not silly things that humanoids have that, you know, he's better than for not having, you know. There are things that he is starting to feel and wants to. I mean, this is go. You know, this is kind of the next step from you know data in you know the next generation where you know it seemed to think that not feeling emotions was not expressing emotions and that they were two different things. Yeah, that could be. I mean, I think that that you know I, I'm certainly not making the argument that Odo was some sort of like you know brainwashed. Oh no, no prisoner. He's, he's- but but I do think that that it is indicative of the way that he's thinking at this point and the way that sort of the show is is kind of, you know, it's it's poking at the edges of the Star Trek uh, 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 philosophy without completely collapsing it, you know. And, and, you know, even though Odo is able to understand maybe the beginnings of what this Jem'Hadar, will, you know, is that, you know, he can appreciate, you know, I don't want him to be a lab rat because I didn't like being a rat, you know, right, and all those kind right. of things. But beyond that, he's not really sure because... I don't think that somebody talking to Odo the way Odo talked to the Jem Hadar, you know, would have worked on Odo. Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. But, but also, but also remember though that the first time that this particular Jem Hadar sees Odo, and this is something we haven't seen before, and I think this is probably a crucial piece of information. Yeah. I don't even know if you picked up on it, but um, the the. Jem Hadar seems to be genetically programmed to be deferential to to, I think to they changelings. Make, they make that actually very clear in the episode. You know, I think I think even set. You know, they even say that. You know, there's a programming to where you're, you know, deferential. And I mean, even towards the end. I mean, that's something which is a subtle undercurrent to the episode because he's you know Odo is pissing this guy the fuck off, and yet this guy can't you know. Anybody else, you know, the Jemadar would have killed them. You know, he can't, you know, express right. how angry he is to, about Odo. Right, right. Which and I, I think is – and in a way that becomes subtle torture that he's, you know, telling him to do something that, you know, he wants to obey but he can't obey this order because he wants – you know, he's he's tearing this guy apart, frankly, without well, realizing it. Yeah, because I mean, you know, and this is again I think why this is such an important episode for, for, for Deep Space Nine because it, it shows exactly, you know, how far – the the founders will go. I mean, yeah. you know, they've they've basically created an entire genetic slave race of you know soldiers that are incredibly hostile and angry and just want to fight all the time. And 
you know, fanatically loyal to and their fa- creators. Yeah, and, and fanatically loyal to their creators on a genetic level and won't hurt them. I mean, it's like... To a degree where one who isn't even allied with the creators, you know, he can't hurt. Right. I mean, this is, this is bad news, right? I mean, this is not a good thing. And and again, I think that that you know that's all that's all fine on a plot level, and I think it does kind of paint the, the founders in a different light, and maybe gives us some more information about them. But on the other hand, as an episode of Star Trek, I think that it's it's yeah. you know if again you go back to that Ibor comparison, you know when he, when Hugh was cut off from the collective, he started to retain his individuality. He he sort of was like, I don't want to go. He made the decision to go back. I mean, this was all a very Star Trek episode. And his about, decision to go back is seen as. You know, a tragic, and he's doing. It's a sacrifice he's making to save everybody else, right? And also, as we, you know, unfortunately, as we see in the descent, it had ramifications. Yeah, which you know, descent yeah. is whatever. Let's let's just pretend that didn't happen. But right. and I, yeah, but I think that that you know, you look at that episode and you see where that went. Yeah, and then you look at this episode and you see where this goes. And there's no reasoning with the Gem Hadar, right? Yeah. Like, and I'm not saying the collective Gem Hadar. I'm just saying that it's hard to talk about because he doesn't have a name. But you know, the you know. Yeah. A Gem Hadar, whatever. Let's call him Bob. But yeah, I mean that's uh, also which is also let's say that's one of the points of the episode that they're you know this species is so is frankly designed to have no individuality in a different well, I, way. I well, I don't know that it's not. I don't know that he individual. doesn't have individuality. I just think that that he is the the problem with with this Gem Hadar and perhaps with the Gem Hadar in general, and and it could just be that this Gem Hadar. Um, you know, wasn't raised properly, wasn't yeah. raised around other Jem'Hadar. Perhaps they are a bit more, whatever, right, calm or, or something. You know, if if they're just, they, they, they may know how to channel this sort of innate aggression in them, right? Well, they probably have tons of, like, drilling and practicing and all of that. I mean, it's a, we, you know, I, I, I can assume you go to the Jem'Hadar planet or wherever that they are going to, you know, it's going to be a gigantic military installation. Yeah, I would assume so. <laughs> but, but I think that, that, that what, what is most interesting about that is that, you know, this is the Star Trek, you know, kind of ethos failing in a way. I mean, this is a very different episode of Star Trek than we've seen before. You know, they, they try and reason with, with this Jem'Hadar. Odo tries to teach him the ways of the Federation and humanoids, and it doesn't work. At the end of the day, there is no common ground to be made with this Jem'Hadar. Uh, he goes off and and ostensibly is going to go back. He went back to the Gamma Quadrant. You know, Odo comes back and says, "You were right. There was no there. There is no reasoning with the Gem Hadar. There is no common ground, yeah. and that is just so profoundly different than what we've seen before. I think, especially even in this show. Again, this is going off in. There are individual Cardassians, as in you know, even though any given Cardassian will probably be your enemy. You know, you can form. You know. Even even someone like Goldacott or Garrick, who you know is, you know, can't be trusted, you can find common ground and have, you know, and and they are not their species in some ways. Um, this is saying, well, the, you know, a Jem'Hadar is a Jem'Hadar. Like, we, because if we, you, we didn't find a noble Jem'Hadar. Well, not even that. It's It's that divorced from their, you know, yeah. the thing about Star Trek is like divorced from their culture, divorced from their society. Yeah. You know, you can kind of like... This is someone who has never been exposed to the Jem Hadar philosophy before. This is someone who never doesn't even know what the Dominion is, right? Or, or doesn't have a, a personal yeah. experience with it. And and you would think that that would make him a perfect candidate to sort of like become the the ambassador between the Dominion and, and Federation yeah, or something, he right? And there's have no a home to miss. There's none of that. There's none of that, and that makes it very very dark. Yeah, I mean, it's a very sad ending. There's a very melancholy and tragic end to it, you know. When you know and 
you know, there is the scene where Kira basically, you know, panics at him when he's like, what are you thinking? You know, why are you doing this? And, you know, she doesn't agree with it, but he's living with you. Yeah. I mean that, that, you know, especially when, you know, and I think that's hilarious in light of, you know, in the comp, you know, when she invites herself into his room, basically, you know, yeah. And recognize, you know, I like that Kira has a line, you know, she, she will needle everybody that she can, but you know, when she realizes she crossed it, you know, she's at the point where she's like, Oh my God, I'm intruding in your space and he's fine with it. And it's seen as a very strong affirmation of their friendship that, you know, he's not going to let just anybody into, right. Suddenly he's letting a Jem'Hadar into his quarters though. (laughs) Like that's, you know, but at the, well, I think some of that is due to Odo's sense of obligation too. Of course, of course. I think he realizes that the options are either leaving the Jem'Hadar in, in, in the brig or taking him to his quarters. But still, you know, still it's a weird, well, it's like if you if you look at the beginning of the episode and you see when Odo answers the door and Kira's standing there. Yeah. What, what does he do? Yeah, he steps outside. He steps and outside and closes the door. Like, <laughs> yeah, and she, you know, she invites herself in because she knows it's going to piss him off a little bit. And but you know, she is very curious. I don't know. And, that's that's an interesting read on it. I don't know that I think that she wants to piss him off. Well, I, like in in the in in a. To to a mild degree, I think you know. I think she's teasing him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I guess again, not like piss him off, make him angry, but like annoy him a little bit. You know, needle him a little bit. That's what you well, know. I it's think... when when Cisco and you know O'Brien wanted to have their talk, and she's like, "Oh, it must be a human thing." She knows full well it's not her business, but you know, she's. I I actually think that's interesting because you know Odo is obviously a character that's very grumpy, you know, but yeah. we've never seen him angry. I mean, he. Well, we. I mean, we've seen him angry in very specific circumstances with a prisoner, with a you know when when he's. But yeah, I don't even know if I would consider that anger. I just think that he's stern. I mean, I don't know. It just seems to me that 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 you know as Odo he is, is very in control. Yeah, yeah. Like I think as Odo is progressing as a character, I think that that Odo realizes that you know his emotions are are powerful, and mm. you know he doesn't want other people to see them, so that's why he's very controlled. Um, I mean, that's why he probably doesn't let people see that he's happy. I mean, I think Odo is someone who, you know, you look at Odo and you look, if you kind of take the top level view of him and you say, okay, this is a character that, that doesn't like to feel vulnerable. And, and one of the ways in which he protects himself is by sort of closing off his, his emotions in a a way. Right. And this episode is, I think also, you know, aside from all of the Jem'Hadar stuff and the Dominion, I think it's also important for Odo because it really does show that Odo does want to connect with people and he does want to help and all this kind of stuff, but he's just so... You know, he's failed this because this particular Jem'Hadar and, and maybe all Jem'Hadar, we don't know, are just profoundly, um, they're broken in a way. I mean, you know, th- that's kind yeah. of the, the, the interesting thing about the episode, too, is that, you know, what were, I mean, were the Jem'Hadar completely created by the, the founders? Like, yeah. were they actually in existence before and the, 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 the Dominion did this to them? I mean, I think that there's a there's a degree to which everyone in the episode is very somber because they realize that, that this is not his fault in a way. I mean, this, I mean, this episode almost has resonances of like taking care of an alcoholic family member, kind of a thing, you know, where, you know, he's trying, you know, Otis, which you should not do. Yeah. By the way, (laughs) but, but I mean like that, 
It's called codependency. It's very bad. But I mean, that's in a way what Odo's trying for at this beginning. He is, you know, trying to say like, you know, he's creating a safe space for the Jem'Hadar to sober up. You know, he's yeah, trying to, yeah. you know, he's saying, okay, we'll get you to college. We'll get you to, you can get a job, you know, he'll get your own place. And at the end, he just You can like, join the Klingon cook and make Gak with him. Yeah, exactly. You know, and he's given all of these options, but at the end, he just, you know, goes back to the gutter, you know. Yeah. I mean, we are dealing with a species that is literally designed to be addicts. Yeah. I mean, we haven't even really talked about how dark that is, but, you know, because it's like at, at the end of the day, you know, the Jem'Hadar, you know, genetically predisposed to be violent and, and, and be deferential to the founders, but they still have this extra level of control. Over yeah. Them. I mean, like it's all very, very dark and, and yeah, it's, it's, I think, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that you're interested to see where it goes. I mean, I know where it nah. goes, but yeah, you're like, whatever, let's just skip this and go on to Voyager. I really want to see the dog that's in uh, Enterprise. I mean, we can we can see the dog. I can show you a picture of the dog right now if you want to. It's called Porthos. Aw. It's very cute. It's a beagle. Oh, well, no spoilers. <laughs> um, Yeah, and then I guess the other thing about this episode is that Jake is a player. Good, you know, I, good I, for him. I, I don't know I, that there's much to say about it, but I like that we learn that in Dabo, when you win, you get to scream Dabo. That's like the Dabo, Dabo. That's like the requirement of any good game is you scream the game of the name of the game when you well, win. I, I do that. I mean, when I go bowling, I go bowling. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, when I play Settlers of Catan, I go Settlers, Settlers of Catan. <laughs> we could do that. We could do this all day, but um. And, you know, I think it's interesting that this is a plot that's happening to a teenage boy. I mean, usually the father doesn't like the person, you know, his child is dating is something that's, you know, usually given with the teenage daughter. Yeah. So I like that, you know, they have that. I mean, this is... I like that Captain... Captain Sisko. Why do you keep calling him Captain Sisko? Not I, because, a captain. you know, uh, shut up. Commander Sisko is... Very interested in babies and loves babies. I know. And that's it. You know, it's... it's And and he's a good father. And he wants his son to be happy. And he learns that his, Jake is writing poetry. And I think that's weird, but good for Jake. Yeah. And he's got a hot girlfriend. I mean, so I, like, for him. I like the Dabo girl. I think she's, 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 she's great. Charming you know? and fun. I, and, you know, good for him. She's smart, obviously. And you she, know, when, she enjoys Jake's company. And Whenever I, you they've know. talked about... You know, Jake has talked about this relationship... It always came off as, you know, she is just totally using this guy to get tutor, you know, to for like her to do her homework for her or whatever or tutor her or what, you know, and, you know, that, that well, we, she's 20. So, yeah, I mean, like you, you think, <laughs> no, but I know what you mean. Yeah, no, like, you know, you, you, you get the sense that, you know, she's not really interested in him, but he's smarter than her and she, you know. Need some I I also th- I mean not to cut you off, but I also think it's interesting that that Cisco is really taken aback by by the the fact that Jake is like a dom job player because I don't think we've ever heard dom job before. We don't know what it is. But- Isn't that that the game that all the uh, 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 Ferengi play though? I think oh that's yeah, the one yeah, that, yeah, like, yeah, right. It is dom job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which you know, I mean, his best friend is Nog. I mean, you, 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 I figured he would have taught him at some point. I mean, if, yeah, you know. Yeah, so that's good for Jake, I guess. I don't know. I don't have much to say about that plot point. Okay, I'm glad um, we didn't because I was worried you were going to like talk about it for a while because you like Cisco and Jake. Uh, I do like them. I mean, I think they're good characters and yeah. I like their relationship. So good for you. You know, 
You're for, allowed to. Good for me. Um, yeah, and I think that that overall this is a, a quite a good episode. You know, it's interesting too because this was directed by Avery Brooks, and oh. um, well, you know what? This is actually kind of the start of something too because um, actually in uh, the Memory Alpha. Um, for this episode, there was an interesting a quote from him, uh, which said, uh, he said, basically, uh, for me, it was very much a story about young brown men and to some extent a story about a society that is responsible for the creation of a generation of young men who are feared, who are addicted, who are potential killers. Huh. So, yeah, there's That's... that, too. And uh, this is a yeah. theme that will be developed later. So. Um, just okay. go with that. That's... I actually that's one of the things that I actually also really like about uh, Deep Space Nine is that um, they don't they they deal with. I'm trying to think of a good way to say this, but I, they, they deal with the fact that Avery Brooks is a black man, you know, in, you know, contemporary American society and all of the sort of problems that. Um, you know, young black men and 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 African Americans in America in general have, without without making the Federation racist. Like they they are sort of they do deal with this a little bit later on down the line in a very interesting way. Okay, and um, it's just I like the fact that the show is, and I think this is something that that Avery Brooks you know has said on in interviews as well, where you know a lot of the reason why he you know sort of the, the relationship between between jake and, and cisco is always very warm and loving and fatherly because you know there's you know he wanted to combat this idea yeah. of you know absent black fathers and all this kind of stuff and I, I i like the fact that the show does deal with that kind of stuff you know without making the the federation racist or something like that i mean so so it is kind of a good example of i think deep space nine maybe going somewhere that that star trek hasn't gone before yeah, I mean, hasn't they had, been able to go right like they they had uhura in the, in the original series and you know that was that was good for its time i mean you, they had Worf as being an absent father to alexander most of the time we gotta be honest with that yeah and that's kind of you know, yeah all. i mean this this is the we've said several times that you know you you know, Cisco is the opposite of Worf in, you know, his relationship to his son. And, you know, that does seem a deliberate decision. I, know, I, in, in yeah, I think, I think it is. And maybe not a deliberate decision, but, but sort of a, a calculated one. Well, just, just, you know, just as it's, you know, every, every, every time there's been a new show, they've made a, you know, point to get different characters. So, you know, yeah. Dr. Yeah, Dr. Yeah. Crusher was not, you know, Dr. McCoy. There was no counselor that we can compare to counselor, you know, so, right. you know, we had one father-son relationship. Here's a very different father-son relationship. Yeah, I think that's true. All right. Well, if you have thoughts on either of the episodes that we just talked about, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. Our social media username where you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is trekaboutshow. And leave us an iTunes review. We would appreciate it. We do not have any new ones to read. If you leave us one, next week we could read it. And don't forget, we have a Patreon now. So go there, the link's on our website, and uh, give us some money if you feel so inclined. Next week, Richard just being quiet. I don't know what he's doing over there. I can't see him. Uh, I'm plotting. I think he fell asleep. Next week, we are talking about Civil Defense and Meridian. And I will tell you right now, Richard. Yeah. I fucking love the hell out of Civil Defense. Okay. It is one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek. Okay. Like all of Star Trek. Okay. So just be ready for that. If you don't like it, we may have to stop the podcast. I understand. So now we've completed a round of Trek about. So you know what we get to do? 
Check them out!